0: Are you comes from Village Soup and the Republican Journal, providing the communities of Waldo, Knox, and Hancock counties with news, information, ideas, events, goods, and services, on newsstands Thursdays and on the web at Waldo.VillageSoup.com. From the music of the founder of bluegrass music, that's Bill Monroe. To the very latest contemporary bluegrass, Browns brings all varieties of bluegrass music to you. Hosted by Darwin Davidson, with lots of help from Karen Mulford, Marilyn Ryan, Paul Anderson, and other hosts, it all happens every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. right here on Community Radio. That's WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online at WERU.org. We look forward to seeing you every Thursday.
1: Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from George Stevens Academy, welcoming students to discover their world. More information at GeorgeStevensAcademy.org.
0: Stay tuned for 10 o'clock when Let's Talk Animal comes your way with Dr. John. Meanwhile, partly sunny with a high near 64... Calm winds becoming south, 5 to 9 this morning. Rain mainly after 9 p.m. tonight, low around 49. South winds around 8 miles per hour. Chance of precipitation is 100% tonight. New precipitation amounts between a quarter and a half of an inch possible. So that's a pretty good size rain. Friday, rain before 9 a.m. Then a chance of showers between 9 and 1. High near 56. Northeast 7 to 14. Chance of precipitation is 80%. New precipitation between a tenth and a quarter. And Friday night, partly cloudy with a low around 44 light northwest winds. We look like we're going to have a mostly sunny Saturday. Rain likely in the evening after 2 a.m. And let's see, big little brief message here. Pledge Drive, thank you. Thanks so much for everyone who donated and volunteered during the spring pledge break. You can still donate online at WERU.org, become a new member or a sustaining member, or make an additional gift. It all supports great programming on WERU. It's about 5 seconds to 10 o'clock. It's time for Let's Talk Animals.
1: Good morning. This is Dr. John Hunt for Let's Talk Animals from Aardvarks to Zebras. We are live this month. I took a little vacation last couple months. I want to remind my my listeners to go to the archives and listen to the March uh, Let's Talk Animals with Dr. Tom Cameron talking about CBD. It's an excellent uh, show that we taped, and I think it would be very informative. Uh, This week we are live, so if you want to call... Four six nine zero five zero zero John, my uh, engineer said that we may be a little bit tied up with uh, lines because one line is from my guest, so if you don't get an answer, we are here, just keep trying because I know we'll have lots of calls. just want to remind everyone of that, so we are live uh, today. Oh, I always like to plug my my pet sounds on Sunday morning. Uh, there's some new ones coming up, I think you'll be. You'll enjoy some of the new topics that I'm covering. So, today I have a special guest, uh, Ms., uh, Ms. Peg Wheeler. She is the Veterinary Technology Program Director at the York County Community College. Good morning, Peg.
2: Good morning, Dr. Hunt. Thank you for having me.
1: Uh, you can hear me okay?
2: I surely can.
1: Good, good. That string and cans work pretty well. <laughs> uh, Peg is my boss. Because I do teach at YCCC, so I have to be uh, very good today. And uh, (laughs) at the end of this program, I hope I still have my job. So we'll. we'll...
2: Me too, (laughs) 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 John.
1: We have to be good to each other. Then. Yes. The the powers to be are listening, listening in on us. So Peg, welcome to the show, and thank you for taking the time. This is uh, this is always a busy time for you. You're, You're very busy with this program. Um, with a lot of with all my guests, I first ask how you got here from there. How did you get to be the director of a of a technician program?
2: Yeah, it's it's you know that the veterinary industry is really a dynamic place to be, and I have enjoyed a career that has let me do a lot of things. And I I tell students that we're sort of in a unique industry where you can put pieces together um, and sort of jump around and do a lot of things, and it it leads you down a productive path rather than having you look sort of schizophrenic or unable to focus on one thing. Um, I started my career with an undergraduate degree at UNH um, in animal science in their pre-vet program uh, and did a lot of work in veterinary clinics, so clinical practice as a veterinary technician in the UNH area. I did some shelter management in the UNH area, uh, and then um, I went with my husband to the western part of the country i did some work in some clinics in arizona we did some traveling ended up back in this area Uh, did some work for IDEX laboratories i opened my own pet services business which ran for 24 years we closed about two years ago because it got a little bit too much to run um, that business and teach here building the program at, at york county community college uh, but my business was a farm feed supply store. I did animal nutrition counseling. Um, I did pet boarding, pet grooming we did uh, hay rides we did uh, we bred draft horses donkeys goats Uh, poultry we have all kinds of animals at my house i'm glad my husband isn't listening to this because i'll remind him of all the things i make him participate in make sure Uh, he's make sure he's doing
1: it now (laughs) this morning
2: (laughs) i think we've got some fences that need repair and a duck (laughs) that's missing so those are are the things we do every day but uh, while i was doing that i was also teaching in the animal science program at unh i taught there for about 20 years um, in animal nutrition, I taught their intro to animal science and some business courses, particularly some animal business-related courses. And then, while I was over there teaching, one day I came across the um, the actual amazing virtual resource that the librarian at York County Community College prepared for the upcoming veterinary technology program, um, and and I did a little bit of research and found they were hiring somebody to put this program together. So that's how I landed here. I, it is my home territory more than UNH. York County Community College sits in the district where, uh, close to where I was a school board director as municipal elected municipal official for 18 years. As part of that, I was a school board director. And I felt very strongly that we needed a local, cost-effective way for students in our district to access the same sort of programming that we had at UNH. That wasn't cost-effective at all for out-of-state students. And York County Community College offers an educational experience that is literally one of the least expensive in the country. And the the programs here um, are run by some pretty talented individuals. It is really an opportunity for students that that uh, I like to preach about a little bit.
1: So, the people may think that there are veterinary tech programs everywhere, because you mentioned UNH and YCCC, but that isn't the case. There aren't as many as you think.
2: No, there are not. In fact, the American Veterinary Medical Association, who is the national accreditor for veterinary technology programs, and and their expectations are quite significant, um, listed when we came on board, I don't know, right around 220, 230, nationwide. So in the whole country, there were just over 200 programs. That's actually decreased a little bit since we've, um, we've been here, but we are one of only about 200 or so in the nation. New Hampshire has two. They have UNH in Great Bay and Maine has two. It's us and there's University of Maine at Bangor, which is a four-year program. Um, and we have, as of this year, accomplished something that was one of my primary goals in this position, which is to create a a relationship with that program that allows our students, once they graduate, to transfer their associate's degree to UMA and then complete a bachelor's degree entirely online uh, with about six courses and then three practicums that they can complete at the practice where they are employed. Uh, Our students are over 90% employed at graduation from this program. So my goal was to make it so that they didn't have to pick up and move and relocate to complete a bachelor's degree but could stay in the practice where they are and continue to build their career while they continue their education as well in a cost-effective way.
1: So when they graduate from the YCC program, they get a bachelor's degree?
2: They get From our program, they get an associate's degree. Okay. They can then transfer to UMA, and by taking six courses online – and then doing three practicums through their employer, their, their veterinary practice where they're employed, they can complete a bachelor's degree in a most economically friendly and, and just practically in terms of their lifestyle, um, get that done without having to move. And, and then if they want to go on to get a master's degree, um, they can do that, and they haven't made a significant commitment to student debt at that point. So it's, it's a really cost-effective way to get a good educational foundation.
1: So a master's degree in the vet as a veterinary technician is that analogous to a veterinarian going into dermatology like a specialty? Uh
2: that's a good question. So I'm selfish. So a master's degree for a veterinary technician prepares them to do things like teach. <laughs> so.
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> self-serving, I see. Right, it's okay, very well,
2: self-serving. <laughs> well, it's right, it's your and, survival. And it, it is. It is, <laughs> and and other things though. There are. Th- this is the most interesting profession to be in because really the thing that the student who first comes to us is so laser focused on is working in a small animal practice, and that is such a small part of what veterinary technicians do, um, and and so that master's degree actually prepares you to do other things and and like research, um, like um, USDA work, like education is one, academia. Um, but there are a host of other things that, that we do that that master's degree really is going to help prepare you to really stand out in terms of the pool of applicants for the job.
1: Not every school has a master's uh, program available, right? Right.
2: So. No, so no, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be suggesting that they're getting a master's in veterinary technology. Their bachelor's would be in veterinary technology and their master's degree would prepare them for whatever specific type of work they're looking at doing, like leadership. Mine is in adult and higher education, those sorts of things. So it really targets you the direction you want to go. If you want to do research, it might be in microbiology, something that takes you a step closer to the expertise you're really looking to oh, okay. focus on.
1: So you you started this, you, you hopped on at the ground level. I did. Nothing was there. So you must have had, a, did you have a team to develop this? Uh, Great question.
2: Re- I'll plug my, my, my partner in this effort. Dr. Margaret Totten, who's a retired equine practitioner, um, was here shortly before I was um, and had been hired as a consultant to start to build this program. So she and I spent a couple of years together doing just that, we went out into the community and built some um, partnerships and relationships with veterinary clinics. When I was first hired to build this program, it was built on the assumption that we would never have animals on this campus. It's a small campus, it, is, it did not lend itself as comfortably as say UNH does to animals on campus. Anybody who's familiar with UNH knows it's a land-grant college. There's dairy farms. There's there's an equine facility there. So it just sort of lends itself to all of those agricultural animal-based programs. And YCCC, we don't have that luxury, but we're not unlike many other veterinary technology programs at community colleges across the country in that respect. But so the philosophy that um, was here when I got here was a good one, and I and I like The fundamental concept, which was that students would do the bulk of their learning in the real world. So we would need to have these relationships with animal shelters, veterinary clinics, farms, where students could go out and do their learning at these sites. Um, so Dr. Totten and I spent a long time working on on building those relationships in inroads where students would be able to go and learn the skills they need to learn. And there are a lot of them. The ADMA has some really high expectations for the essential skills that they require veterinary technicians to accomplish before they graduate.
1: And, uh, Margaret uh, uh, has connection with – I have a connection with Margaret as well. I was up at the University of Maine. Augusta at Bangor Animal Health Technician Program about 10, 15 years ago. And she was instrumental in getting that on its feet, and we worked together for a little while. So it was, it was fun to see her again and knowing that she's, uh, she's like the uh, technician school whisperer. You know, She
2: absolutely is. I could not have done built this program without her yeah. expertise, and her experience at Bangor was really helpful for us in, in many ways one is that she had experience in, in building these programs which was just invaluable to me. But the other is that she really helped me have the opportunity to build a relationship with Bangor and having that that bridge so that we work really assist our programs is, is been a wonderful support for me. Allie Simpson who is the veterinary technician at Bangor has been a real resource for me and what we've been able to do to sort of create that relationship has been helpful and it's going to continue to be for a lot of the work that we need to do to build the um, sort of the understanding of what veterinary technicians do in order to make sure that career is sustainable for our students and our graduates is, is important I think.
1: So when you were developing this with Margaret uh, did you reach out to the AVMA to say okay what do we need to get uh, a program that you want accreditation which is a uh, something I want you to to find to my listeners uh, what, what accreditation means versus not being accredited.
2: Oh, yes. So, <laughs>
1: yes.
2: So they they control my life. I can see that. They control
1: my my course, too.
2: Right, they taught. do. <laughs> it, no, I'm, There's no way I can overstate the control that the AVMA has over these programs. And, and for a while, it felt like a, a nightmare to me. But when you really look, like I think a lot of oversight, when you really look at what it does, it guarantees a students a level of education that you can't really do without that kind of oversight. So when, when, you, when the college said they wanted to build this program, we have to reach out to the AVMA and say, here we are, um, we want to do this. And then if you go to their website, if you go to the American Veterinary Medical Association's website and look at, they have a committee called uh, the Committee on Veterinary Technician Education and Activities. If you go to that part of their website, you can peruse the lengthy um, list of standards that they require for any program. They essentially um, really walk you step by step in terms of what you have to have for faculty what you have to have for equipment, what your facilities have to look like, what there's about four to 500 essential skills that every student needs to accomplish 100% of, not 99% of them, but 100% of those need to be accomplished before they can graduate and then pr- be prepared to sit for the national board, which our students and, and our graduates presumably are going to do in order to become credentialed veterinary technicians. I don't think a lot of people realize that the extent to which these people are committed to what they do they they include things like um, the AVMA requires that students are accomplished in a number of of, of health parameters for many species so unlike, human nurses, these students need to know anatomy and physiology, pharmacology, radiology, clinical methods for a number of species. It's very rigorous. Um, And then after they graduate, once they have those skills, they sit for this national exam. And that's what differentiates a veterinary technician from a veterinary assistant. And it's really a a very important um, distinction.
1: And I think that distinction, ha- in my opinion, uh, has been not um, showcased by the veterinarians, their bosses.
2: That's that's true, and I and I do not blame that on veterinarians because I don't think it's clear. I don't think it, there's any way that's been well um, promoted, and I and we're working on that. That is one of my highest priorities for the for this summer, um, at least in the state of Maine. And and I think nationally what I'm doing is sort of tagging Maine onto the national initiative that's referred to as the Veterinary Nurse Initiative. Mm -hmm. I think the terminology of veterinary technician, it's such a fuzzy term. And then when you try to distinguish a veterinary assistant from a veterinary technician, it gets even more fuzzy. The state of Maine um, several years ago passed a poorly known Or a law that has been very poorly uh, sort of promoted. It it is, and it's a bad law in my personal opinion. But it was a law that passed by virtue of having sat on the governor's desk and and nothing was happening, nothing was done with it, so it passed. But it does state that it makes a very clear distinction between a veterinary technician and a veterinary assistant. A veterinary assistant being someone with little to no education who is not. Um, gone through an accredited program, nor sat for the exam, and, and the law puts a criminal penalty on those people referring to themselves or being referred to as veterinary technicians. No one really knows that. No one's really done a, a lot of work, footwork, and going out and saying, to, hey, veterinarians, do you know? It, it's just sort of sitting there. I think the Veterinary Nurse Initiative, which is going to change the terminology, from veterinary technician to veterinary nurse is really going to help um, make that distinction and help get the word out for what veterinary technicians slash veterinary nurses do.
1: That's an interesting question because last night, um, my wife is a nurse, so we okay. had quite a long discussion about nurse, the term nurse, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it got, um, I think the conclusion was that, the, the use of a veterinary nurse was a way of, of getting um, the public more aware of what a technician is, but it also may be a little misleading because nurses, human nurses do a little bit different stuff than, than veterinary technicians. Uh,
2: that is, that has been a topic of conversation since this initiative hit the ground several years ago. Um, I, and I, when, I first came here. We included the word nurse, Dr. Totten and I, when we were writing some course uh, information, we had the word nurse in it and the nursing program here at YCCC, and, and it's, a, it's a program that's really out of Southern Maine, but um, we were asked to remove that word from all of our course information because it, it caused some anxiety for the nursing program. The um, the National Veterinary Technicians Association, so the NAVTA, that's our national association that has been putting together this veterinary nurse initiative, has done a lot of work with nursing associations to to think that through, to really work on that issue. And, and they've made some significant inroads with, with the nursing associations to get there. There are five states right now that are... Um, are, are running this initiative sort of as a um, – what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, uh, it, it, not an experiment, but they're the first five states Trial to do kind it. of thing. Yeah, as a trial, yeah.
1: Well, yep. One thing my wife mentioned, a reg- she's a registered nurse, and she yep. you have to have a bachelor's degree to get that. So um, if a veterinary technician doesn't have a bachelor's degree, at least at the education end, that's that's unequal, or yeah, uh, uh, so, is that wrong? I mean, that's, well,
2: I think because we're not. I think the differentiation is there is a credential that I taught at UNH with my professional credential without my master's degree for a while because that credential was viewed as the same level as a master's degree.
0: Oh, the, okay.
2: The yep. professional license right. itself. So I I think there is a difference. Part of the confusion. That issue, too, rests in this, this sort of troubling, problematic point of the AVMA's requirement of these students, and you know because you teach in this program, are really more than associate's degree. So I, I, I tell students in our intro class that I wear two hats. I wear the community college hat that says that I built and teach in a program that is um, in a community college that is structured as an associate's degree, it has to be put in the box that matches their requirements as an associate's degree. But I also wear a hat that is actually the more important hat because the program doesn't exist if the AVMA doesn't say it exists. And their commentary to me is, "Peggy, you really know this is like a three-year program. So most students are never going to do this in two years. And that's that's troubling, and that's why Bangor went to the bachelor's degree.
1: That's right, and and when, and when Margaret and I were, were struggling with that, it was a two-year program up there.
2: Mm-hmm. It
1: was impossible for them, the students, because they needed to get some of the basics of math and English and that. And those two, and they didn't have it, or they did have it, then they couldn't, or they didn't qualify or pass the math exam, for instance, to get into the program. It was a mess.
2: Well, some of, that's part of the issue, is, is our students coming in prepared. Even when they come in prepared, though... It's still the, a three-year program. The nub of the problem is that an associate's degree is based on 60 credits in the state of Maine. And if you, if you do an online search of most veterinary technology programs, they range from 80 to a, over 100 credits because of the AVMA's expectation. That, that's a sep, sort of a separate issue... Then do our students come in prepared from a mathematical skill point of view? If that's an issue. Uh, don't get me wrong. But the bigger, bigger problem is this credit issue. In order to accomplish all of the skills required by the American Veter- Veterinary Medical Association, and so that sort of does meet with with what you and your the conversation you and your wife are having. The AVMA wants these people to be educated the same way as nurses, and put on top of that for multiple species. I mean, our students have to know radiology. They have to be able to. They know they know pharmacology. Their skills involve surgical monitoring. All of really the same skills, for the most part, that nurses do. It's just so condensed. It really, by the time these students leave here, I look at them and they look like they've aged 20 years, not two years. And the that's the problem is that should these programs really be four-year programs, but they are based in in community colleges, so that's that's troublesome. It's so they're stuck in a paper chase,
1: basically, credential.
2: Thing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, we really are, and 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 that's what some of the what the result is is that a lot of the programs are going to four year programs or folding. Or folding. Some, are, Some of them, the struggle is, it's, yeah. it's tough. It's tough on students because they graduate with an associate's degree. They've really done the work for a bachelor's degree, and, and that is why I really love the relationship that we have with UMA and that opportunity for students to, in short order, turn their degree into a bachelor's degree. There's lots of conversations about, you know, what is the future of the veterinary technology the, uh, career. Is it going to go to a bachelor's? Is there going to be a master's? Are we going to look at paralleling with the nursing industry and look at nurse practitioner type positions? There, there's all kinds of conversations about that, and, and I, don't, I don't know where that's going to go. My biggest concern right now is to just raise the awareness, the consumer awareness, and sort of the industry awareness of just exactly what these people are trained to do by virtue of the requirement of the Veterinary Medical Association requirement so that we can help veterinarians use those skills in a way that is most productive, most profitable, so that we're creating careers for these um, graduates that are sustainable.
1: This is uh, Dr. John Hunt for Let's Talk Animals, aardvarks to zebras at WERU, and this is live. And you can call at 469-0500 if you have a question with my guest, Peg Wheeler, who's the director of the Vet Tech program down at YCCC, the York County Community College. And we were just talking about um, the technician program and the definition of a technician. So just to review a little bit about the accreditation, if uh, someone out there is thinking about any kind of education program, an accredited program means it's it's met certain criteria. So you're assured that there's there's a certain quality uh, in that education. Basically, is that is that right?
2: That's correct. Okay. So um, we have a list. When we're while we're building the program, Margaret and I would have to interact with the AVMA on a very regular basis. It's sort of this ongoing um, electronic conversation about. How have you met this requirement? How many faculty members do you have? How much space does the program have? Where are the students going to have access to the numbers of animals for each course that are going to be required for each one of them to put hands on an animal and accomplish the skills that are required? They're required to do phlebotomy skills and um, radiology skills and surgical monitoring skills. and We have to document where each one of those places are, and produce the contracts that um, will be in place with each, with each one of those places. One of the really interesting and sort of progressive um, ways the philosophy here was developed between Margaret and the administration here before I got here was their their philosophy was that all of the equipment that we were required to purchase for students, regardless of the fact that we don't have a veterinary clinic here at the, at the college, we would put out in cooperative spirit with the clinics that we're offering their facilities and their staff to support our students. So um, we'd say who wants, who needs a surgical table, the animal welfare society in Kennebunk who does wonderful things for us has a surgical table of ours there. Um, Microscopes, the um, TNT equine, I can give a little plug to some of our really great clinical partners here. TNT equine in North Berwick has been wonderful about letting us use their space um, and do some do equine skills. Have our students do equine skills there. They have a couple or a microscope and some uh, sterilizing equipment, a steam autoclave and a gas autoclave there that belong to the program. Those kinds of relationships really do engender partnerships for us, and and that was very important. Um, and then beyond all of the sort of the communication about how are we doing those things, the AVMA when we reach the point of saying okay. We've done all the things you've asked us to do. We have students in the program. We actually had students who had to make a leap of faith. Um, So shout out to all of our first graduates in the program who were here before we received that official accreditation. When those students are getting to the semester where they're about to graduate, the American Veterinary Medical Association sends out a team who spend three days on campus um, going through everything, your facility, you're talking to your students, talking to your instructors, um, doing going to visit clinical site partners, and they make a determination then whether you are meeting their expectations. So that's called, at that point, you have what's called initial accreditation, and, and we have that. They assess any deficiencies that they think that you have. Um, we have one deficiency on the program. That is that we need, they want us to have more um, modern veterinary clinic-like space here on, on campus. That's challenging, but we're, we're sort of working on that. Hopefully this summer we're going to make some progress in that that arena. Um, and then they come every five five years after that, and I have to report to them every six months uh, about what's going on here, six months to a year. I think we're now at a year. Every year we need to report hmm. our progress on, on things and anytime we make any change and this i always tell my students this i can't make exceptions for anybody unless i get their permission so anytime we make a change in the program i need to report to them and get their approval for what what we do here
1: uh, before talking about the students, who who are your instructors besides me?
2: <laughs> uh, well, we have a wonderful, wonderful team of instructors. So at the same time, Dr. Totten started, Dr. Alicia Solomon um, from she was she retired from Biddeford Animal Hospital, and her husband Munir um, have been with us the entire time. She teaches Animal AMP as well as our clinical methods class classes. Claire Handy is another one of our um animal AMP instructors and she's been with us for quite some time as well. What's uh, what's A and P? Animal anatomy and physiology. Okay. Um, and that's a full year course. There's a animal anatomy and physiology one and two. So the students spend quite a bit of time working on, on those skills. And then uh, in our clinical methods pro course we have another instructor, Mary Clark, who has had some tremendous experience at Tufts and at UC Davis. So she is a wonderful resource for our students. She's a veterinary technician. Um, And then yourself in our lab animal course, we have also got Dr. Dave Jefferson, who's a retired uh, equine practitioner who teaches uh, large animal management as well as co-teaching animal medicine with you. That was a wonderful treat for our students this semester. Um, And then Craig Holbrook, who is a small animal practitioner, um, Great Brook in Lebanon, Maine, who teaches, God bless his soul, pharmacology, which is the hardest (laughs) class in the program. Yes. And he teaches our imaging and dental intensive course for students. Um,
1: But your faculty, uh, by nature, seems to be, well, not now, but in most programs, kind of um, flowing, coming and going.
2: No, no, not now. We really have been very, very fortunate. We, I do not have a lot of turnover in instructors or lab assistants. And I should mention that we have a, a lab assistant, a, a longtime lab assistant in, in this program, Patricia Schoenbrod, who is a veterinary technician who um, works currently at the Animal Emergency Center in Portland, Maine, who is a, a tremendous mentor for our students. And a, and most of these people, we've had one or two people leave for. Generally, reasons of their moving, <laughs>
1: which right.
2: if I could make the program online and hold on to everybody and make this a lifetime commitment, I would. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, don't, but get, don't get been, greedy now, Peg. <laughs>
2: right? It, it really has been the joy of my work here is that we have passionate instructors who clearly are not here for the money, right?
1: <laughs> right.
2: Is <laughs> that it, the right answer? Yeah, that is. Yeah, okay. yeah I think so, John. <laughs> but, but for a love of working with students and of the industry itself and making sure that we have people in the industry who are there for all the right reasons and with all the right skills.
1: Well, they're wonderful students. So could you tell us a profile? Maybe someone out there is thinking of going into a of that tech program like yours. What, what's, what's a typical student right. profile?
2: Uh, you know, YCCC sort of broke that mold for me. You know, when I, I taught at UNH for years, and the four year residential student coming out of high school who really may or may not have much of an idea about what they want to do was one thing that I came to think of as normal. When I came to YCCC, I had no idea what to expect, but our student body here is a highly motivated um, for. of these students really know what they want to do when they come into this program and they are here to work. Uh, They are of all different ages. We have students that range from high school graduates to I have students in the program who already have had other careers. So they're coming back sort of for second careers. We have students in the program that have master's degrees in, in other things who have just been driven by a passion of working for animals and are coming back here to do it to do that at this point in their lives. So I I cannot give an average anything in in this program. It really is all about people who decided they want to work with animals in a in a clinical setting, really in this this meaningful way. And
1: what's the percentage of men and women?
2: Yeah. We gotta fix that, that (laughs) Doctor Hines. I'm lucky if I have one male student come in to each cohort and we have trouble holding them and and I do believe that there this is largely about getting a profile and a sort of a sustained financial remuneration for the profession before we're really going to see a lot of male presence in this field and it's that's troublesome to me I it is one thing I really think we need to work on
1: So basically you're saying they're not getting paid enough
2: yeah, you know, it's it's as a professional in this field, it's troublesome for me to hear men say I couldn't make a long-term living to support a family doing that when we as women who are professionals in this field have been trying to do that for many years. So I, I think that we should be able to make some progress in that area. There are... Some men in the field, and I'm trying to get them to um, work with us to sort of promote it that way. But we really need to work on the sustainability of the career, I think, first for ourselves, and who are already in this field. Ed Carlson, who is the regional rep for our professional association, NAVTA, is, is going to be doing, hopefully, I've corralled him into doing some work with me this summer um, to, to really highlight ways we can be the best for promoting our our own um, importance in the field.
1: If any of my listeners have any questions for Peg about Animal Health Technician and the programs, uh, we are live. This is Dr. Hunt for Let's Talk Animals, Aardvarks to Zebras. Call 469-0500, anyone who's interested in calling. Uh, so how do you, in the ivory tower section of this profession, try to get Higher pay for technicians. That's
2: that's a good question. Right now, if we can really highlight those who are uh, the model of practice that is used, where technicians end up um, being better paid, uh, there are you know we teach students um, per the AVMA that there are essentially two models of practice in veterinary medicine, and and one is sort of veterinarian-centered and the other they refer to as client-centered, which is this type of practice that makes full use of what veterinarian veterinary technicians are required to learn how to do by the Veterinary Medical Association. So it's sort of getting the word out to veterinarians what their own association requires their veterinary technicians be trained to do so that they can use them effectively for, for uh, practice management. I worked with one veterinarian who uh, had this model of practice that was amazing to me, where she ran sort of a, her office was a bit of a cockpit, so to speak. She had a computer monitor for each one of her exam rooms, and they were all exam rooms being run by veterinary technicians, where they would bring each client in, get histories, do some basic physicals, um, find out, you know, generally what the animal was there to, for what the purpose of the visit was, and then report back to her, and, and and then there would be this checklist of, well, I would like to see some blood work on this animal, or I'd like you to do X test, lab test, or set this one up for imaging, and and she was essentially running a, a practice that at a level that would require several practitioners, and she was doing it through really effective use of what veterinary technicians are trained to do. That, I think, is when we look at models that are more like that, where veterinary technicians are being used for real income-building opportunities, That's when I think we make the most money and so do the practices. If they're simply being used to restrain animals and do reception work or kennel cleaning, it it is really tough to to justify how they're going to be paid well within the practice. But those are things that veterinary assistants can do, reception, restraint, kennel cleaning, and, and those are people who haven't put the time and the investment into their education and their credentialing And and that makes more sense. It's really the differentiation there, I think, that's going to help build awareness and build opportunities for for everyone on the team. One of the things that we've done here at YCCC that I do want to plug is our new program, Animal Care and Management, um, is is sort of a, a, a sister program for us for students who don't necessarily feel like they want to be focused on that clinical aspect of, uh, of animal care. But there are many, many other opportunities, both working in veterinary clinics, like reception, like management, like uh, back, back of the house, sort of animal care, as well as all of these other sorts of ancillary opportunities in the industry and in professional pet services. And it's our animal care and management program, which is a separate associate's degree.
1: The, do you think there's a, maybe uh, another avenue is going into the veterinary schools for the veterinarians um, to learn how to manage a practice using the technician, the, the veterinary technician, nurse?
2: That's a really great idea. I, you know, veterinary schools seem to vary tremendously in how much business management. Um, time or coursework veterinarians have i got zero right and i think that's that's pretty common i hear from some in practice that there's a, a minimal amount of it but really not very much i that's a really interesting approach i think it's tougher to just practically make that happen my current goal within the state of maine is to do the same thing through the maine veterinary medical association good idea to get the main veterinary technicians association up and running. So that's that's step 1 for me this summer is to get the professional association for our profession veterinary technicians going so that they can start to work directly with the main veterinary medical association to get that information out through Um, newsletters, meetings. I'm going to the June 5th meeting for the Maine Veterinary Medical Association to talk to them about just exactly this topic. How do we do that? How do we make this a sustainable career? We know veterinarians want veterinary technicians. I cannot graduate enough to fill the requests that I'm getting. So the question is, how do we get them out there and make it a sustainable career for them and make that partnership work so that it's not just us saying we want more money it's us saying we want to make your practice more efficient and more financially beneficial um, to both the clients and and to the practice owners
1: being a practice owner myself for 20 some odd years um, the economics and the history of vet tech or veterinary assistants or veterinary technicians or assistants is really a huge hurdle Uh, because as a and as a small practice house of a one man practice, basically, and those are I think disappearing, but we still have some uh we you know we don't have the luxury of hiring a a receptionist and you know kind of divide up, have four or five six uh, people on staff because you just can't afford it right and and historically too, as we we went into into other practices, we saw the high school student that's been there for ten years. She, they just came out of high school, but they're an excellent technician, but they you know they were worth a lot but the but because they got out of high school and because of the economics and I think veterinarians are kind of st- stingy um, <laughs> i hate to, I hate to say it i I hope i wasn't with my staff um, that there's your low pay right there
2: yeah i don't Veterinarians are stingy at all. I think the issue is, well, I, you know, okay, I, ran, you I ran a that. business for 24 years and had a lot of employees, and I, so I totally understand it. I, I was talking to a veterinarian at the practice where I take my small animals yesterday, and he made a really great point that we have to really look at ourselves and, as as veterinarians do, as almost like a piece of equipment in the practice. You know, you got to generate income or you can't afford to purchase it. So you have to really look at it that way. If I'm going to hire a veterinary technician, how is Use that them. unit going to increase the income of the practice or not? You know, and, and small animal practice, I will say, if I could afford to, I'd go back into small animal practice. I loved being in that that sort of local family setting of getting to know your clients on that level. Being the receptionist and then being in surgery, I even, when I first was in practice as a veterinary technician, was in the days that predated veterinary emergency centers. Mm -hmm. And that variety of, of what you would do during your day, to me, was just wonderful. And you would see your clients through the puppy stage, through the trauma they may experience right to the end of that animal's life was really a passion of mine. But it is tough financially I worked with a veterinarian in the in the 80s who I thought was just so far ahead of his time because he would charge for my time. I mean, I lived at a clinic, and if clients wanted, like, overnight care, you know, we would explain, here are the clinic hours, but we can give extended um, critical care, but we're going to charge technician time for that, And and clients did that. They, they loved that opportunity to do that. And I think it is sort of the same as the emergency model, but it's, it's tougher because those costs are higher because they, those practices operate under a, like a higher overhead. But, but I think those are the opportunities that we have to really look at how can we really turn this into an economic model that will work for both the small practice and larger practices where they are kind of doing some of those things. They're using technicians in places where they can increase income. So it's not just like I'm going to hire somebody and and they're going to do this work, but we can't really look at or justify how the income is going to make that work. We need to do that, and we need to put those models out there in a way that makes it manageable and understandable for
1: for people. Well, the fact that you have 90% – of, of this graduating class, um, employed. Sounds like the trend is, is going that way.
2: That was our fifth class, and that's true of every class. So it's closer to ninety five or ninety eight. And the, so the two students in particular who weren't employed um, at graduation uh, are, are frustrations to me because their standards were so high that they didn't like the offers they'd received. Oh, so actually, <laughs> you the, six.
1: Then it's a. a I tip my hat off to you then for...
2: Well, no, it's not me. Because, it's well, the because, well, the
1: program led them to believe that they are worth more, right?
2: Oh, they, well, it wasn't about money. It was really, I think, unfortunately or fortunately, we are not overall a, a group of people who are thinking about this financially. And I, I lecture students like a parent, you need to pay your bills too. So, So I know you like working with animals, but... You're going to have to figure out how to pay your bills. So respect that you need to somehow uh, make this work. One of the things the accreditor does do when they come to accredit a program is look at the financial viability of the cost of the education versus what the students are going to make, and I think that's a really great thing. The cost of an education here for our students is so low, we're under $100 a credit. Um, and and if students are using financial aid, they can collect tax credits for the cost of their financial aid um, if they stay and work in the state of Maine, and it reduces the cost of an education to almost nothing, and the scholarships that um, the York County Community College Foundation offers are additionally wonderful. However, all of that said, I still think it's important for students to, to make sure that they are honoring themselves and, and building a career. So I, I talked to them about that. But most of them are not looking for money. They just want to work. Like, for instance, the first student I ever had who wasn't employed at graduation, it was because he, by the way, this is our only okay. male graduate so <laughs> far, wanted to work in an AHA, an American Animal Hospital right. Association accredited hospital, um, and he wanted to review the way they manage surgical patients, his, his standards. He was a straight-A student here in this program, and he had um, some really high standards for what he wanted to do. He, he was he, employed eventually, but he was very particular about where he was going to go. It wasn't about money at all. Well,
1: that sounds promising. And knowing the students uh, that I taught, uh, I can see that. They're very um, in tune with what they want to do. And they did have they have high standards, they do, and I think that's they got to keep that otherwise you will never get anywhere with uh, a good pay.
2: That's right, I think by virtue of their expectations of themselves, they really will have opportunities that that will be somewhat exceptional i think and, and they do exceptional things when i I don't think I ever had a student while I was at UNH, maybe one or two in my 20 years there that did international. Um, took advantage of international opportunities. And we've now had four students travel abroad for summer practicum experiences. And that has been stunning to me. I've only been here six years. And this summer we have a student who's going with World Vets to, um, I think she's going to Nicaragua to participate in a spay-neuter program there. So it's been, these are really, these students
1: here are really amazing. We have about Seven or eight minutes. So if anyone has any questions, uh, please call in at four six nine zero five zero zero. 500 Ask uh, Peg Wheeler, the director of the animal health technician or the veterinary technician program um, at YCCC. Now, there's some listeners out there that may be thinking of a friend, a relative, or themselves uh, of this career. Um, so give it a you, – you've been very – Positive, so give it a sales pitch. I mean, what do you have to do? Do you need more than a high school graduation to get into your program? Um, that sort of thing.
2: no, this is this is a community college that is an open access college, which uh, means that pretty much anybody can come in and sign up for the program. Um, and that's somewhat unusual. It, it was concerning to me when I first took the position. I thought, wow, we're going to get all kinds of people who are just never going to make it in this program, and it's going to be frustrating for instructors. Um, but it, it actually has turned out to be one of the things I like best about this program because it gives everybody the opportunity. So if you're a student that struggled in high school and maybe you know not put your best foot forward all the time so your grades aren't necessarily what it would take to get you into another program – um, you do have an opportunity to come in to, to YCCC and, and present yourself here. We do offer opportunities to take courses multiple times, although there is a limit to that. At, at some point, it's more of a an advising uh, limitation. We don't have hard-set rules about, gee, you can only take pharmacology once or twice. We've had students who've taken... That course in particular several times in order to get through the program, but I would say this is a this program is for people who really are interested in working in the clinical aspect of veterinary support, um, and if you don't like math. <laughs> and you don't, then it's not. There's two – I tell students when I'm doing advising, there's two different things. There's I'm not good at math, and I don't like math. If you're not good at math, there are amazing supports here at YCCC who can help get you past that. But if you don't like math, that's a little different because (laughs) you don't want to be having to do um, conversions for drug dosage calculations or – Fluid rate calculations and anesthetic dosing. You don't want to have to be doing that every day if math is something that makes your skin crawl. So it, that's probably the, the biggest limitation that I talk to students about. Otherwise, you know, this is the place to be. The, the student supports here are really unmatched in my book. Uh, you know, we have tutors here, you have a learning center here that is run by a woman who is just a ray of sunshine and, and just a tremendous. Um, resource for students. We have a retention coordinator here who will actually um, pursue students who are maybe not performing as well as they could and, and make let them know what their resources here are. So I, I'd say anybody who really thinks this is where they want to be, working in clinical support of veterinary medicine, this is, this is a program that is accessible, it's uh, student-friendly, and it's affordable, which is... With my parent hat on, is probably the most important thing we can do for our students is to get them to where they want to be without burying them in student debt. And and we can do that here.
1: Do you um, you at least have to have a high school graduate degree to get a minimum standard? Okay. Yes,
2: you need to be a high school graduate, and and that's it. I also should uh, mention before I run out of time here that the president, our president, Dr. Barbara Finkelstein is is leaving us, and uh, she she came to us just after I did, um, and her support for this program has been phenomenal, and I am going to miss her. Uh, She, in, in very short order, when she got here, did make some policy changes that allow us to have animals on campus, and that made life for our instructors um, so much easier. I can, I can imagine that you would understand for lab animals. Yes. We were chasing around to do <laughs> yeah. uh, to do those things in other places. It's really untenable for instructors, and, and we were doing that for all classes for the first year or so we were here. So I, I do want to make a public thank you to her and wish her the best. Um, yes. we are going to miss her. A wonderful
1: person. Yeah. And we have a couple more minutes. Where do you see um, the future in the YCCC program? Where are you? What are you looking at?
2: Uh, my well, my first goal, and i was the connection to the bachelor's degree because I I do recognize the issue that that you you appropriately had the conversation with your wife about you know we need to elevate the career and part of that is elevating ourselves. So that for me was step one. Step two, I do think though that said that the veterinary nurse initiative is important. I have always always wondered who came up with the term veterinary technician the word technician you know teach students it always makes me feel like i'm supposed to be out back working on the equipment or fixing my somebody's car <laughs> like, a, like a tv I, I technician or... right i don't understand that term and i don't think our clients do either so that i think makes it difficult for both the practice owner um and the, the person in the field to promote themselves because people don't even know what we do. If you ask somebody you know, on the street, what does a veterinary technician do? They have a really hard time answering it. If you ask them, what do you think a veterinary nurse does? It just makes it more clear what we do. We really do do very similar things all day long. We support patient care. We monitor surgical patients. We work in recovery. We do laboratory work. We do imaging. We do dental procedures. There's all kinds of things that veterinary technicians do that. The term nurse will will better sort of promote in the community, and I, and so I th- I think that's important. And then beyond that, I think it is important for us to work with veterinary medical associations to develop the potential understanding for business models that make it a more sustainable career. That's that's my focus from from here forward. So.
1: So any changes in the program? Um, usually, that sounds like it's if there are changes coming it'd be the AVMA telling you rather than you thinking.
2: Yeah, the the last, the only change we've really made, we did increase our cohort size. So that's the level of down into the weeds the AVMA gets. They tell me how many students I can have every year. Yeah, so we were approved max. Yep, they set a max. They look at your program. We say, you know, we want 16 students. Here's where we're going to access animals for these 16 students for each of the courses that we have in large animal, lab animal, small animal clinical methods. So if we say we want to go to 24, I had to redo all of my uh, materials with them to say, okay, now where are you going to get those, that many animals from and how do you have the clinical space and how do you have the instructors to support that? Um, and then they have to say yes or no. I don't. We don't just assume that we can do it. it. It's They really are down into the weeds of what we do here. So that was our most recent approved change. I don't see myself... Um, in the near future, making changes other than to address the one remaining concern that they have for us, which is developing better, more clinical, veterinary clinical simulated space here. So that's my goal for this summer, along with working with the Maine Veterinary Medical Association to sort of start to address the the sustainability of the career for our graduates.
1: Well, this has been a delightful hour. Um, I don't know how much time I have left, Two minutes, so I we can talk a little bit. Uh, what when you, court when the courses are done and grades are in, what do you do during the summer as the director?
2: I, I we have practicum students out in the field, so their first practicum is a summer practicum. So this summer, it's about twenty students who are out in the field. So we work with them to make sure that they're getting situated at practices where they were where they. have opportunities to practice the initial skills that they've learned during the first year of the program. I visit each one of them, and my goodness, are they spread out. I put 1,400 miles in my vehicle last semester visiting our second practicum students, and I expect that I will beat that this summer visiting this group of students. Um, And I play with my dogs and my horses and my other animals, and I fix fences,
1: Well, your husband's supposed to be fixing the fences.
2: (laughs) I I know. I think during the summer he expects me to do something. (laughs) Is that that how it works? Okay. (laughs) Right. But this summer, uh, and then I have a conference. We have a veterinary technician educators conference in Louisiana that I'll be going to this summer. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a busy time, but it's a fun time. I We're moving my office, so I'll be in a different yes. spot when everybody comes back. So I have go. to look for you. Yeah, someplace. not far. We're small. so <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, I can get lost any place, though. So.
2: Follow the dog here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Peg Wheeler, the director of the veterinary technician... I will officially call it Veterinary Technician Program at the YCCC. Thank you very much. And well,
2: thank you for having me. I'm sorry I didn't generate many questions.
1: No, that's okay. I think everyone was listening, enthralled. That's oh yes. it was.
2: yeah, so, just like class.
1: <laughs> this is Dr. John Hunt for Let's Talk Animals. Aardvarks, zebras. Until next time, enjoy your pet and don't forget to give them a hug.
0: And a little program note, um, you should know that Dr. John Hunt is coming out with a new book. He's not talking about it himself, but he's uh, very happy to have it coming on the way, and so are we. It's called, uh, Why Is My Cat Looking at Me Like That? And other stories from the world of veterinarians. I, I, that's not quite exactly right. John, what is the title? It's,
1: Why Does My Cat Look at Me Like That? Ponderings of a Small Town Veterinarian.
0: That's it. So, Check it out in a few weeks when it comes out, and um,
1: yeah, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Hands-
0: Democracy Now! produces a daily global independent news hour hosted by award-winning journalists Amy Goodman and Juan Gonzalez. Their reporting includes breaking daily news headlines and in-depth interviews with people on the front lines of the world's most pressing issues. On Democracy Now!, you'll hear a diversity of voices speaking for themselves, providing a unique and sometimes provocative perspective on global events. Headlines at 8 o'clock Monday through Friday and Democracy Now! in its entirety at 5 p.m. Right here on Community Radio, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, And streaming worldwide at weru.org.
1: Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from the Mill Bridge.